You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. Hey, 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 church. Great to see you and great to be with you today. Shout out, of course, to City Campus. Uh, love you guys. Can, can I just say to everyone, this guy, Frosty, like Pastor Adam, man, every time the man opens his mouth, it like, it's like faith just falls out of him. I'm so encouraged and inspired every time he speaks. And uh, what a phenomenal couple these guys are, Adam Papakura. So shout out to Papakura crew as well. Uh, shout out to everyone, of course. It's awesome to be here. And what a delight it is for me to be able to kick off our new series, Build. And our message we're going to be looking at today is building a platform of prayer. You know, I love the story of uh, Pastor Luke when he was just a young man, a young pastor, walking past the massive uh, gates outside of 198 Mahia Road back in the day and praying that one day God would find a way to use this property for his glory. Of course, 30 years later, here we are, that property is a campus of Elam Christian Center with our stunning Manurewa uh, congregation there. Shout out to Manurewa crew, uh, Elam Leadership College, a school, Christian accommodation, a soup kitchen. I mean, it's absolutely astonishing, right? God answers prayer. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Answer prayer is so important, right? Answer prayer brings us into a new day. It brings us into new possibilities, new opportunities. Answered prayer is when God's possible connects with our impossible. It breaks down things that stop us from moving forward. It moves mountains. It enables us to find our way through to a new future. Answer prayer actually rejuvenates us, it rebuilds our faith, it restores joy, it draws us closer to the God who has promised to always be with us. Anyone here need a new day, uh, a new year, maybe, a new breakthrough? Well, the book of Nehemiah is a, it's a, it's a fascinating book. And if you haven't read it recently, I can't encourage you enough to get in there sometime in these next three weeks and read it from start to finish. It's not a long book, but it is a powerful story of one of the most significant breakthroughs that the nation of Israel has ever seen. You see, the walls of Jerusalem have been broken down. Israel had been taken away into exile as slaves. And... Essentially, Jerusalem lay derelict for 152 years. Now, think about that for a moment. I mean, I mean that's, that's through generations, right? That's, that's when these people were kids, Jerusalem was broken down. In fact, when their parents were kids, Jerusalem was broken down. When their grandparents were kids, Jerusalem was broken down. And, and the miracle was, of course, that they saw the walls rebuilt, the gates rebuilt and rehung so that the city could once again defend itself, the temple could be restored, worship could begin to happen again in that place. And the amazing thing is it didn't take 52 years to rebuild Jerusalem. It didn't even take 52 months. The miracle was that in just 52 days, the walls around Jerusalem was restored and it started with a platform of prayer. We can learn a lot from the story about answered prayer and how God responds in this powerful story. We're going to look at it now. So let's jump in together. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah 
with some other men and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted, and here it is, and prayed before the God of heaven. You kind of get the sense that Nehemiah hadn't realized how bad things still were. Of course, there's no Facebook updates in those days, no six o'clock news update. It was like he couldn't believe that after all this time, Jerusalem was still broken down. It was still in a place of disrepair. And this idea that something needed to be done seemed to burn inside him. It's like he had a broken heart about this. And can I say to you right now, in life, if you experience something, you see something, and something just begins to burn in you, it's like it just breaks your heart, you need to take note of that. Because very often, somewhere in that is a powerful purpose of God for your mission in your lifetime. The challenge that Nehemiah faced, right, was what could he do? He wasn't even in the country. He'd been born as a slave in exile. He was serving the king. So here's our first lesson today. Number one, first he prayed. And chapter one tells us a little bit about what he, what he prayed, like the content of that prayer. I'm not going to go into it in any depth this morning. But he admitted and confessed that Israel, including himself, had let God down. He also reminded God of his promises that whenever his people, wherever they were, should they turn back to God and pray, God would restore them and restore them to Jerusalem. And he asked God to grant him a favor with the king. Well, sorry, grant him favor with the king. Now, this is interesting, right? Because if Nehemiah is asking for favor, it's because he's got a plan. He's got some ideas that are starting to percolate inside of him. And it's like, God, I need you to open a door for me. But this is what I love about this, is that first he prayed. Now, the scriptures would suggest that it was probably about three months uh, before Nehemiah came before the king again, serving him. But when, uh, when that happened, it was like God cracked open the door. There was just a possibility of an opportunity. Let's read it. Nehemiah 2, verses 1 to 6. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was bought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. You've got to remember, he's, he's, he's essentially just a slave. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And this is where the opportunity cracks open. The king said to me, what is it that you want? And here we have it again. Then I prayed to the God of heaven. And I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will the journey take and when will you get back? 
It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. Isn't this powerful? Even before he answered the king, first he prayed. He just, in that moment, in that minute, he sent that prayer up to the Lord, asking that God might grant him favor. And, and it's an amazing thing that happens. He gets released to go. He gets provided soldiers to give him safe passage. He gets sent letters to guarantee his protection while in hostile territory and letters so that he can get the wood that he needed to rebuild these massive gates as part of the building project, all paid for by the king. Now, I'm telling you, that is a miracle. That is a breakthrough. You know, sometimes, team, it's in those small, in-the-moment prayers to God that opens great doors to extraordinary provision. I heard the true story recently of a Navy shipyard during World War II. Workers were desperately needed uh, for the work. And, but the problem was that as the war went on, the economy tightened. Uh, many workers in these dockyards found that their wages just weren't enough. Sky, enough. Skyrocketing food prices meant that that their budget just got tighter and tighter until many of them actually had little option but to leave their jobs and go back to wherever their home was to their parents destitute. Now one shipyard employed a woman called Mildred who was a financial advisor to employees and she was a Christian. And as the price of fruit and vegetables in particular skyrocketed, more and more families struggled. And one young family, as many young families were, was sent to Mildred for some financial advice. And she met with them and looked at their situation. And again, it was they just couldn't afford the food prices. It was a massive problem. Mildred's husband also had a senior role in the shipyard. She talked to her husband and said, what can be done? And he said, look, nothing can be done. And so the story goes, Mildred prayed. And in that moment, faith just came into her heart. She felt God was going to do something, and she actually spoke to the young couple and says, I'm telling you, food prices are going to come down. You wait and see God is going to do something. The next day, as her and her husband traveled home from work, she asked her husband to go into the store and buy a lettuce. She said, you buy a lettuce, I'll make you a salad for dinner. Now, he hadn't bought groceries before, not for a long time long time. And when he came out, he was both stunned and angry at the astonishing rise in prices. He got home, he got on the phone to several farmers that he knew, and found out that they were only getting a fifth of the price of what the vegetables were selling for in the market. So it's a 500% increase between grower and retailer. And he decided right then and there, he was going to do something about it. A few phone calls later, and he had secured an unused car park just outside the gates of the port, and a stack of farmers willing to turn up the very next day with truckloads of produce to be sold at reasonable prices. For the first few days when the trucks turned up, they sold out within 60 minutes. And in that first 24-hour period, produce prices in the city dropped by 40%. Jobs were saved, people stayed, farmers' markets were born. And Mildred had another testimonial of answered prayer. First, we pray. And look, the second lesson is here as well, right? Don't tell God how to do his job. You see, the problem is, is that when you tell God what you want, and then you tell God how you want him to do it, you know what you do? You limit God to only answer that prayer by the one way your brain can come up with that that should be answered. 
You exclude God from the infinite number of possibilities that he would normally have available to him to answer those prayers. You know, when you look at what God did with Nehemiah, God, he just asked for favor. He didn't tell God how to do that. I mean, considering the fact that he was a slave, it would have been favor if Artaxerxes had just simply not killed him and released him from his service. But no, that wasn't what happened. God did it in an extraordinary way. Amazing provision, all paid for by the king. And it was no small building project. Don't tell God how to do his job. I recently read the true story of a farmer in the Congo a few years ago who had lost everything when the desert uh, through an extensive drought began to encroach on the fertile fields that he farmed. His situation seemed completely hopeless as the dunes began to drift across and sand would blow onto his fields ruining the soil, destroying the crops. All of his neighbors over a period of time similarly overwhelmed eventually abandoned their houses and land and moved away. Yet this man prayed. And when he prayed, he felt God assure him that everything was going to be okay, that he should stay right where he was. Well, within a month, as the desert sands continued to blow across the area, snakes began to appear, cobras, in plague proportions. Now, obviously, this was incredibly distressing, and it soon looked as if he'd have to leave as well simply to protect his family from the threat But he prayed again, and again, God gave him peace in his heart, told him to stay where he was. And here's the interesting thing. God didn't remove the snakes. Something else happened. As this man had to deal with the snakes on a daily basis, over time, he found that he was learning to handle the snakes. He could handle them safely, confidently, without fear. It turned out that with all the snakes in the region, There was a huge need for snake bite serum. And within two years, this man was earning a comfortable income selling venom to local health authorities to be used in making anti-snake bite serum. God had turned the very thing that was his problem into his provision. I'm telling you today, God can do the very thing that is the problem that you are currently facing into the provision that you need. Don't tell God how to do his job. Amen? And so let's go back to Nehemiah again. So Nehemiah, he stepped out in faith and he went back to Jerusalem. But the job in front of him was so big. How do you restore a destitute city that is laying like that for 152 years? Here's the thought. You do what you can with the faith that you have. Nehemiah arrived at Jerusalem, and he didn't arrive with great fanfare. He snuck out at night. He went around the city. He sized up the size of the job, and then he gathered as many people as he could, including local leaders, and he pitched it to them. Guys, we can do this. He cast vision. He painted a picture of what this could be like. And almost surprisingly, they all agreed. They said, yeah, we're in. Let's jump in and do this together. But then what happened? they began to have problems. Even as the work started, they faced opposition from intimidating people. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. Here it is again. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. See, here it is again. First, 
we pray. Secondly, we don't tell God how to do his job. But now the third lesson, you've got to do what you can with the faith that you have. They didn't just pray, they took action. They got a a security team together. They posted them uh, around the different parts of the wall, particularly where it was lowest. I mean, it was a good idea. It was a good solution. The reality is it was never going to be enough. But they did what they could with the faith that they had, and God saw them right. You see, when we pray, it changes things. This is the truth. And it changes at least three things. Firstly, Prayer changes you. I mean, look at Nehemiah. It's an amazing story, right? This guy's a slave. He's handing wine to the king. I mean, he's expendable. His job essentially is to taste the wine and make sure it hasn't been poisoned. How do you know if it hasn't been poisoned? If he doesn't kill over and die within 30 seconds. Like, how's that for a job, right? He went from that to the rebuilder of a city, not just any city, Jerusalem, one of the greatest cities on earth. Nehemiah will always be known as that. God took this man and changed him and took him into an incredible place of leadership. Read about the kind of man that he became. It is amazing. When God moves in our lives, he changes us. When we pray, it shifts something in us. God grows and builds us step by step, prayer by prayer. The second thing that changes is that prayer changes others. You see, it wasn't just Nehemiah who was transformed. It was the exiles themselves. You see, when a nation is taken into exile, the very best are taken. Only the poor and weak are left. Generations of these people, subsistence farming, barely getting by. And yet what happened was, as these people began to come around and put their put the effort into the building and be able to see something happen that hadn't been seen for so long. They themselves were changed from powerless into empowered and powerful. And thirdly, prayer changes circumstances. Jerusalem was changed from being broken down and indefensible to being built up and defendable again. I love the story of the missionary to China, Hudson Taylor. He's quoted as saying this, He says, I can move a man by God through prayer alone, and I have proven it a thousand times. Now, do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, in this great work in China, as we've tried to reach people again and again and again, we've come up against people that have tried to shut us down, situations and problems that we haven't been able to get past. He said, and what I have found again and again is if I will go to God in prayer, I can see every one of those moved. God can change your circumstances. Prayer changes things. I read the story recently of an immigrant couple living in L.A., they were in their 40s, they had tried to have children and, and hadn't been blessed. And then in their 40s, they had this beautiful baby girl. He had a job that paid the bills, they had a house, couldn't save much, but life was good now that their family, they felt, was complete. And then when the little girl turned three, she began to fail. She grew weak, listless. She didn't smile or talk. She just lay there in a daze between halfway between wakefulness and sleepiness. They, they took him to doctor after doctor and could get no answers. She was getting worse and they were becoming more and more desperate. And then one day she's traveling on a bus with her child and an elderly doctor came across, he was a retired doctor, came across and started speaking to her. He said, ma'am, I can see that your baby, let me read this to you, is very ill. If you want her to get well, You need to take her out of this climate and get her into the sun. Take this girl to the desert. Well, that evening he made a house call and came over and visited the family. He checked her out thoroughly 
And this is what he said. He said, I fear another month will be too late. Here is my advice. Withdraw any savings you have. Fill your car with groceries and drive to the Mojave Desert. Find an abandoned cabin. There are many there and give your child a chance to live. The husband said, can I get a job there? The doctor replied, I doubt it. The husband said, well, how will will we live? The doctor replied, pray. The man said, for what, for a job? The doctor replied, no, don't tell God how to help you. Put yourself in his hand, do what you can, and wait without worry and without impatience. The father hesitated, then replied, I haven't prayed for a long time. The doctor replied, it's time then for you to grow up. That night, the couple knelt by their little girl's bed and in tears they prayed. And then two days later, they did what the doctor said. They packed up and left for the Mojave Desert. Those first few months will know real change in their daughter, despite the fact that they, they, they lay her in the sun every day in small amounts of time, increasing amounts of time to, to soak her in the sunlight. She turned a beautiful golden brown, but she didn't seem to get any better. Small things that kept happening kept their faith strong. But then one day after their fortnightly trip into a nearby town to replenish their fresh fruit and vegetables and get supplies, as the husband checked the amount of money they had left, he was shocked to find out that their savings were almost completely gone. He walked out into the desert, sick with fear, angry at God, and angry at himself for bringing his family to this desert wasteland. He walked for hours and hours. Slowly as he prayed, his fears subsided, faith returned, and he determined to see it through. When he finally returned to the cabin well after dark, his wife was radiant. She was excited. He said, what's going on? The wife said that the daughter had sat up that evening and seen a little ant on the table next to her bed struggling with a crumb. The daughter had watched the ant. And then when the ant had gone, the daughter said, Mommy, can you get Daddy to bring the ant ant back tomorrow so I can watch him? It was a glimmer of hope. It was the first sentence she'd said in months. Well, the husband had had an ant farm as a boy that his dad had made for him. And the very next morning, he went into town, nervous, filled with doubt. He made the decision to take the rest of their savings, and he bought a few tools, some good quality wood, everything he needed to make a beautiful ant farm for his little girl. He went home together. They made this. It had mitered corners, two beautiful bits of glass, all sealed perfectly, rubbed down with wax until it gleamed. It was beautiful. With his daughter, they filled it with earth, moved some ants and some eggs in, and then put a small handful of cereal on top before sealing it up. As the daughters watched, the ants began to pick up small flakes of cereal and take them down into their burrow. And then the daughter spoke. She said, Mum, I would like to have for breakfast what the ants are having for breakfast. The mother cried. It was the first time she'd asked for food in months. Almost overnight, the wee girl was transformed and back to normal as she watched the ants build their colony, enthralled, asking a million questions. God had done the miracle. 
but God wasn't done yet. Three days later, out of the blue, there was a knock on their door. It was a university student who was camping in the desert doing some studies on desert insects and desert bees. And he wanted to know if he could use their well to fill up his water supplies. He came inside, saw the ant farm and was amazed at it and immediately offered the father $100 for it. The father said, if you can give me the money now so I can get the materials, I'll have it ready for you in two days. Two days later, he arrived and left with this ant farm that he had bought for $100. As it turned out, the young man went back to his university and showed a bunch of friends. And one week later, the husband received an envelope in the mail with a request for five more ant farms and $500. And here it was. For the next two years, he built ant farms farms from dawn to dusk, making as much as he would have if he'd stayed at his job back in the city and saving most of it as their expenses were so low. When they left the desert two years later, their daughter was fit and strong and healthy. They had savings in the bank and he had a job to go to as the Department of Agriculture had found out about what he'd been doing and gave him a position with them. First, we pray. We don't tell God how to do his job. And then we go and do what we can with the faith that we have. Amen. And that leads us to our final lesson today. Expect breakthrough and don't give up. I read the astonishing story of a small contracting business in northern Canada one of the first jobs they, uh, they took on was a job to erect 75 power poles linking a generator in one town with another town that had, not, had never had any power. The deal was, however, they had to get the power poles in and the power on before Christmas or they would no, make no money on the deal. This contracting company had recently employed a young graduate, a guy by the name of Joe Houghton, to get the job done for them. Joe Houghton was a praying man. He was a Christian. He went to the town and he began to engage in this. But the problem was, is that where they were, it was 48 degrees below zero during the day. I mean, unbelievably cold. Sunrise didn't happen till 10 a.m. and the sun set mid-afternoon. Everybody told Joe Houghton that what he was going to try and do was absolutely impossible and that he should leave and come back in the spring. But Joe believed that God had provided the job, and if God provided the job, then God would provide a way. After moving the huge poles to the right location, screwing on cross arms, braces, and insulators, he then realized they were facing two major problems. Firstly, digging the holes and ground that was as hard as concrete, but then also after that, filling the holes to keep the poles up. As they began, their tools could barely dent the surface. He didn't know what he was going to do. As he went to bed that night, he recorded this prayer. He said, God, I'm going to sleep tonight with my mind open to you, and I believe you'll give me the answer when I wake. The next morning, Joe woke up. He had the answer. He rushed down to the engineer and said, if we heat up one-inch thick rebar steel till it's red hot and then hammer it in the ground, how deep will we get? Engineer said, you'll be lucky if you get an inch. Joe said, I need to get four feet down. The engineer said, what do you want to do that for? He said, because we're going to use dynamite to dig these holes. The engineer said, it will not work. Joe said, well, I got faith. We're going to do it anyway. They tried it. 
36 times they had to go back between the forge where the furnace was, where they heated the steel up red hot, and the place where they were trying to, to, to put the pole in, 36 times back and forth, hammering it until the steel went cold and they could get low, no further in. And finally, they got themselves four feet down. They put dynamite in the hole, tamped it in with snow, set it off, and it blew a hole four feet deep, but six feet wide. <laughs> this massive hole. See, said the engineer. I see, said Joe. This is going to work for us. And so they set to dynamiting holes for 75 poles over the next few days. They got all of these massive holes done, but the problem now was how to fill them. At 50 degrees below zero, sand freezes into a solid lump that you cannot break up with a pickaxe. The soil that was blasted out was in huge frozen chunks, and there was no supply of rocks anywhere near them that they could utilize to fill the holes. The erected, they put the poles up in the holes with bracing bits of wood to hold them up, but that was never going to take the, lo the load of the line. How would they fill these holes? That night, as Joe went to bed, the story goes, he prayed the exact same prayer again. God, I'm going to go to sleep tonight with my mind open to you, and I believe you'll give me the answer by the time I awake. The next mo morning, Joe awoke, leapt out of bed. He had a fully formed plan in his mind. He raced down to the engineer to announce, I know what we're going to fill those holes with, he said to the engineer. The engineer said what? He says, we're going to fill them with water. Amazing. And so this is what they did. They went to the river where they found that the, the ice cover in the river was six feet deep. It took them a whole day to dig a hole in the river. But then what they did was they pumped water out of the river into massive tanks, raced them to the holes, and poured water into these holes around the base of the power poles. After 30 minutes, the water was frozen enough to hold the poles up without any bracing. By the following day, they were rock solid as if they had been put in concrete. The poles were in the wires were laid on them. The deal was, Joseph, we're going to come back just before spring next year, just before the thaw, and then we're going to brace the poles again, take the water out, and fill it with soil then. It was genius. As the generator started up, three days before Christmas, the lights in the homes, shops, and streetlights of that little town lit up like a Christmas tree. Here's the thing. Joe expected breakthrough. And he never gave up. You know, it's the same with Nehemiah. Nehemiah expected breakthrough and God did the impossible. We need to expect breakthrough. Commit our worries to him and see what God will do. Amen. You know, the world is full of ordinary people praying to an extraordinary God and seeing amazing things happen. And we're just a part of that. Amen. Here's the challenge today. Will we pray? And will we start today? Will you set aside a certain time each day, starting tomorrow, and come before your God? God is waiting for someone to pray. Breakthrough belongs to those who pray. And it is time for us to build a platform of prayer, a habit of prayer, a place of prayer. And tomorrow we start 21 days of prayer. And Pastor Adam's going to tell us more about that in just a moment. But what an opportunity for us to build a platform of prayer in our own lives. What might God be planning to do? What might God be waiting on for you that hasn't happened because you haven't built that platform of prayer with Him 
in your life yet. You know, God delights in answering prayer. Let us remember that because answered prayer brings God's possible into our impossible. It builds our faith. It brings glory to him and it changes the world that we are in. What is the need in your life today? What's the need in your family? What's the need in your neighborhood? Will you pray? Come on, let's pray right now. Lord, we come to you today. God, we thank you that you hear us when we pray. God, we thank you for these stories that remind us, God, that you're just waiting. Lord, we bring these things before you. We will do what we can. God, we will wait for your breakthrough. God, I thank you in advance in Jesus' name for what you're going to do, God, this week and the weeks ahead and the months ahead across our campuses. God, as we build a platform of prayer for what you want to do in this great city that we are a part of. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, maybe you're listening today, you've tuned in, you've been invited, you've got the link, and you actually don't have that kind of relationship with God. You, You don't pray. You don't know what it is to know Him personally. Let me just speak to you for a moment. The Bible says in John 3, 16, that for God so loved the world... That's, that's the word. He doesn't say, God so loved the Christians. It's God so loved the world. That's me, that's you, that's everybody. He so loved the world that he sent his son to die for us and that through him we might not perish but have eternal life. You know, God wants you to know him, wants you to experience his love and plan for your life. But the Bible also says in Romans 3 that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We've fallen short of God's standard. That keeps us separated from knowing him and experiencing him in our lives. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came and died on the cross to take the punishment for my sin and your sin. That through putting our trust in him and entering into a a trust relationship with him, God might forgive us. In John chapter 1, it says, To all of those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Would you receive him this morning? Will you pray a prayer? Will you hand your life over to him? Would you Make a way for God to forgive you. Because God longs for you to know him, longs for you to experience his love and power and plan in your life. If that's you this morning, come on. Why don't you pray with me right now? You can say these words after me just in your heart, whatever works for you. But this is between you and the Lord. Here we go. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me. I admit that my sin keeps me separated from you. But I thank you that Jesus died on the cross for me so that I might be forgiven today. Jesus, I put my trust in you. I ask you to wash me clean of my past and give me a new start. I thank you for forgiving me right now. I receive you as my God and my Savior and my Lord I ask you to fill me with your spirit. Teach me to talk to you. Teach me to pray that I might see your plan in my life. From this moment forward, I commit myself to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I just want to say, if you prayed that prayer this morning, whether it was for the first time or whether you realized you kind of not in the right place with God, and it was time for you to get that sorted with God. I just cannot tell you how excited I am. You know, I prayed that prayer, 
in a gas station on Manukau Road when I was 22 years old at three in the morning and my life has never been the same. I'm telling you, your life is never gonna be the same. Look, we would just love to connect you with some resources to help you in this new journey with God. If, if that was you, would you now take another step of faith for me? Just click the link on your screen or, or maybe at some point if you're in a watch party, just connect with your host and just let them know of the prayer that you prayed. I know they would love to pray with you. Uh, cannot say how excited we are for your future. Well, church, it's been great to be with you today. Let's build a platform of prayer. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Center podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancenter.org.nz.